back welcome ladies and gentlemen to the high button podcast i'm your host justin belanger thank you very much for tuning in once again today is march 4th it's a wednesday halfway through the week hump day you're almost there uh just keep grinding and the next thing you know it'll be the weekend and uh you'll be doing whatever the hell you want to do unless you love your job too you know maybe you're out there you're, you're having a great time doing whatever the hell you're doing don't let me discourage you keep on plugging away and and living life um so today on the podcast Great episode. So essentially what's going on here, March 12th to 15th, the U Sports Men's National Championship is going to be here in Halifax at Scotiabank Arena. Some of the best talented hockey players um, that this country has outside of professional hockey. To be quite honest with you, it, it pretty much is pro hockey minus minus the paychecks. Instead of the paychecks, they just get their education, and, and whenever they're done doing uh, hockey, they have a full education, great resume, and they can go around the world and do whatever the hell they want. Um, we've had the pleasure of working with some uh, of these AUS teams around here, Acadia, SMU, UNB, uh, you know, all first-class teams, schools, organizations, whatever you want to call them. Uh, it's been a, We've been really fortunate to be able to work with these teams in the past six months. And it's kind of all coming full circle now. Now, the, now that the, the tournament is almost a week away, um, it's great knowing that we have these relationships so that when we're down underneath the stands and the guys are around, we can go up and talk to them, ask them how they're feeling, or, you know, what they expect about the games and, and things like that. So it, it's great that the work that we put in a, a while back is kind of paying off and and we're going to be at this tournament going, you know, full steam ahead. So we also thought it would be a good idea uh, to get the president of Sport Entertainment Atlantic, Chris Larson, on the podcast. If you're unaware of what Sport Entertainment Atlantic is, they're essentially they're they're the company that brought the Halifax Wanderers here. They manage them. They they make sure that they put on a great show. And I know a lot of people around here have had a had a great time at these Wanderers great games. Excuse me. And that's all due to Sport Entertainment excuse me, uh, Atlantic. So it's a great company. They're putting on great events here in the Maritime region. Check them out. And yeah, so like I said, this podcast is going to be with Chris Larson. He's the president over at Sports Entertainment Atlantic. He organized this tournament for the U Sports Men's National Hockey Championship. And I just, you know, I kind of like to pick his brain a little bit. Like when organizing a national championship that, you know, that's no walk in the park. You got to schedule hotels, flights, buses, meals. Uh, You know, you got to be on track of tickets I, I the, it's endless I don't know I, I'm trying to start this company here and I, I find myself being overwhelmed sometimes so I couldn't imagine trying to organize a national championship but nonetheless Chris has been in the business for a long time he knows what he's doing I definitely recommend anyone out there that's uh, you know in school that's looking to get into the sport entertainment world maybe not in the broadcasting side but the organizing side um, you know definitely get in contact with Chris or, or look up their company sport entertainment Atlantic and and just try to get a meeting with the guy. He he's very knowledgeable in the world that that he works in. And I know I picked up a couple gems here during this conversation. So here's our conversation, or excuse me, here's my conversation that I had with Chris Larson. I hope you enjoy. Here we go. Okay, Chris, we are 
going. Give me another test, test really quick. One, two, test, test, test. You're a natural. Uh, big voice. How many interviews do you think you've done in your entire life? <laughs> not that many. What? Not a few, but not hundreds. Big hockey guy like you, though. Yeah. Where, where did you play again? I played my junior in Southern Ontario. Yeah. And then I went to the University of Pennsylvania. Wow. Ivy League school. I'm an Ivy League boy. How did the Pennsylvania thing come into... So uh, playing junior in Welland, the coach at Penn was from Niagara Falls, yeah. which is 10, 15 miles away. And he heard tell of, uh, there's actually three of us uh, that year in that league that he had heard tell of, yeah. uh, myself and uh, a St. Catharines guy and a Niagara Falls guy. Mm. So he came up and did a recruiting trip, watched us play, um, and recruited us from there. So. You know, the good fortune of, of somebody from the region who had, he played at St. Lawrence University. He was an all-American all, all defenseman himself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the natural inclination, who's in my own backyard from yeah. my hometown area, right? Yeah. So uh, we were the first guys from that area, uh, actually, to go to Penn. And then there was a wave of them, which is typical with recruiting. Yeah. You get a couple of guys from a certain spot, and your best recruiters are your players. Yeah. So we would talk favorably of it when we were home at Christmas or over the summer and and he probably recruited seven or eight more guys over the next three or four years right from that area like that area would be 10 miles there 10 miles there 10 miles there right it's a great hockey hub yeah it is it is and they've had some great teams uh you know over the years down there major junior in in uh, Niagara Falls major junior in St. Catharines has been successful it wasn't major junior in those days it was yeah. It was Junior B, which is Junior A today. Yeah. That's just how you kept your NCAA eligibility, right? So there was no major junior back then? No, it was all called uh, Junior A. It was okay. called Junior A. Yeah. And then, and then so when Hockey Canada wanted to rebrand things in terms of different categories, they created Major Junior. And then Junior B became Junior A and Junior C became Junior B and <laughs> all, all along like that, right? So, it, it, again, you can't play... Um, in those days, it would have been in the, in the OHA, Junior A. You couldn't play at that level and retain your NCAA eligibility. So that's, that's how that happens. It's no different today. If you play Major Junior, you're, you're, you're ruled ineligible yeah, at NCAA. It's a tough 24. Is it 24 hours or 48? 48 hours. It's yeah. a tough 48 hours. I remember going into there, and you see guys that are just, they want to step into the room, but then they don't want to step into the room, and their parents are there. They're talking to agents. agents they're talking to there. coaches. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough decision for a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid. Yeah. Uh, one that will be a fork in the road, really, right? I mean, if, if you make that decision to go major junior, you'd – and you want to pursue education, and typically if you want to go major juniors it's because you want to be a professional hockey player. Uh, those two don't necessarily jive all the time. So, But if you go major junior, you better be a pretty good student because you still have a youth sport opportunity coming out of major junior, but you no longer have an NCAA opportunity. Right? Mm -hmm. And you better be good enough to play for four years and get your full schoolboy package, and now your university's paid for mm -hmm. Uh, so that, that, but that's a tough decision when you're 16. Should yeah. I play junior A, major junior? Uh, if I play junior A, what are my chances of uh, elevating my game to a higher level that, that, that might be attractive to pros? I believe today you can't hide. If you're good, they're going to find you. Mm. Uh, the new hook kid uh, from Newfoundland who played in the BC League last year, uh, Alex Newhook, uh, did not have to play major junior for the pro scouts to find him. Right? Mm. Uh, he was a high draft pick playing junior A. Yeah. So, you know, a long answer, but 
it's it's that's a tough decision that those 48 hours there's a lot of pressures to go major junior there's not as many influences to say whoa 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 think about it mm. protect all your interests protect all your options go play junior a and figure it out from there right you can always go play major junior after but don't blow it up when you're 15 16 years old right we took a trip down to boston a couple of years ago and went and got a tour of bu with bowers and went over to harvard with uh, willie devoe and I remember just thinking back in my, you know, major midget days before jumping into junior, not saying that I would ever play BU or Harvard, but just looking at all the schools down there and all the options, it's one thing I wish I was more educated on. Right. But nonetheless, that, that's, that's in the past. But one well, thing I think is great about, one thing I think that's great about even past the major junior level now is, you know, the university route. There's no question. I mean, when you look at the kids coming out of UNB now who have their degrees and are stepping right into the American Hockey League, and one call away from playing playing pro, Jordan Murray, who was an all-Canadian defenseman at uh, UNB from Riverview, New Brunswick. He's got two or three years under his belt in Belleville now with the American Hockey League team. He will play He will play in Ottawa uh, before he's done, right? And he's, 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 he, he did it the less, less traveled way, right? Yeah. Played major junior, spent four years at, at UNB, won national championships there. Became a much better hockey player with all the practice time mm-hmm. uh, that they get uh, in university, and 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 will step someday right into the NHL. But there's guys coming out playing high-level pro in Europe, high-level pro in North America, the American Hockey League. It's not all about playing in in the NHL. Yeah, that's every kid's destination. But if your hockey's been good enough to get you your education, and then you can play a high level of pro after that. You know, your hockey talent will take you as far as, as it will. You know, if, if, it's, if you're good enough to play in the NHL, you will play in the NHL. doesn't matter what pathway you come through. Um, and, and, and I just think, you know, the, you, you mentioned yourself there a moment ago, you wish you had more education when you were at that point. Well, there's an organization in the United States today called College Hockey Inc. Uh, and they're funded by the N- NHL and the NCAA. I remember you telling me about yeah, this in our first to, meeting, yeah. To, to educate kids. And, yeah. and a lot of them being Canadian kids, they spend a lot of time in Canada. Not not, not disrespecting Major Junior, just emphasizing that if, if you think NCAA is the pathway that you want to go, um, you need to do this to protect your eligibility, mm. not that. Mm-hmm. Same with the parents. Parents need parents to be need educated to on top of the kids as well. Because I remember when I was getting recruited by the Mooseheads, all my thought process was play in front of my fans, my friends, excuse me, girls are going to get to see me. You know, that's your thought process as a 16-year-old just no going question. to play. Yeah. And if you, I, if you would have sat me down now and talked to my 16-year-old self and, you know, essentially looked at all the options, I would have been a 180 sitting on that couch saying, okay, I'm going to go do this instead of this. Not that there was anything wrong with the Mooseheads. I had a great time there. Yep. But back to what you said. It's, yeah, no, I mean, you, you, had, you had eliminated an option. Yeah, a big option. Yeah, multiple big option. options. Yeah, multiple options. And... And that's never a good thing in, in any stage of life. You know, you want to keep as many options open, no matter what you're talking about, your career, whether it's uh, whether your career's in sport or outside of sport. Mm-hmm. You know, you always want to keep your options as as open as possible. And that, you know, you know, as, as we as we've talked, we're our company's doing some work with the Maritime Hockey League, a lot of work with the Maritime Hockey League, which is that junior A level. Mm. And as it becomes evolves more and more into uh, a very legitimate opportunity for kids to elevate their game, to play at a higher level, and keep and and keep their education options open. That we will see the Maritime Hockey League uh, grow in stature. Uh, 
from what it was, which was colorful to say the least, <laughs> a couple decades back, to what it is today, a very viable option to to uh, playing high-level hockey. Kids are coming out of the, the Maritime Hockey League now and going right into youth sports, um, getting their education. They've kept all their options open, so they end up uh, at, a, at a Canadian university. That's not a bad option. You haven't made a bad decision. You've made a good decision. And when I first got involved with St. Mary's uh, University's hockey team here um, in the city, we would have major junior kids come in their first year um, uh, who had played over a overage major junior were captains of the junior teams and they felt they were a failure because they were in, at university while their buddies were riding the buses in the East Coast League living the dream playing pro hockey uh, and it, you really had to almost uh, reshape them that you, you're not the failure you're the success you've mm -hmm. made a successful choice mm -hmm. you've made a very positive choice you, you're going to you're going to be educated a whole lot longer than you're going to be a hockey player I guess is the, the, mm -hmm. the nut of that message. Mm -hmm. So so again, at 16, it's just tough to understand all that. And I'm not knocking on any league. Like if nope. you play in the East Coast or if you play, uh, you know, in, in youth sports, it, you know, working with a couple youth sports teams over the past couple of months, it's incredible how well these guys are treated. I know some people might say, oh, if I go down to the, oh, the, the coast or if I go to the A, I'll be paid and, you know, like everything's going to be nice and shiny. But, you know, when I walk into Acadia's dressing room two weeks ago and I see that everything's nicely laid out, they got a little breakfast for them, everything's nicely prepared for it's them. pro level. These guys are living the dream. Yeah. They wake up, everything is prepared for them. Yeah. When they get to the ice, there's no one on the ice. If they want to go on an hour early and shoot pucks and, and practice on something, Something, everything is there for them and that's yeah. not even to mention UNB yeah. walking into UNB you're literally rocking into a pro oh franchise my God. It's, it's a pro franchise model and I don't say that with any uh, jaundice I mean uh, UNB deserves every bit of respect that, that that they get and they probably don't get enough because the body of work there is undeniable right it's undeniable they have created uh, the premier the premier program in Canada at the youth sport level what do you no think question. that takes? Because, you know, there's so many experts out there. Everyone thinks they know what they're talking about. And I'm not saying that you and I do, but you and I have somewhat knowledge mm -hmm. of, of what it takes to become a championship or, or a championship team, excuse me, or a championship organization. But let's be honest, there's very few organizations out there that are consistent like UNB. What do you think the one aspect is that they're doing well above maybe other organizations or other schools? You know what? I, I truly believe they had a strategy, and I believe it goes back to when Kevin Dickey, who's the athletic director at, at Acadia now, was athletic director at UNB. And I believe Kevin, uh, in, in collaboration with Gardner McDougall, the head coach, created a strategy for their pathway to success and dominance. And it was all built around hosting national championships. So when you host a national championship, you usually get it on a two-year cycle. And you now have the best recruiting card in the country. You can talk to the best major junior blue chip kids who are looking at education and say, you come here, you will play in a national championship, guaranteed, two years. Um, so, if you, so if you go on a hosting cycle, which UNB did, They'd host for two years. They'd be, they, you know, the next three or four years it would be hosted somewhere else. UNB would host again. A couple, three years uh, down the road, they host again. Now, all of a sudden, over a span of time, if you look at it in five-year blocks, they've always got blue-chip kids who got recruited because they were hosting a national championship. It's interesting. And then they started winning national championships. So now you're not only saying to the best major junior kids coming out of uh, out of major junior. 
you can come here and play in a national championship, and you know what? We're going to win some. Yeah, you're not just talking about it. You're actually doing you're it. You're winning championships, and, and then they see those players going on into pro, right? There's a pathway to pro through Fredericton. So I believe that was a strategy um, and a very successful one that uh, they fostered at UNB, and that's why they, they always pursued hosting. There's no question. It gave Gardner, Gardner who's an ex excellent recruiter to start with, mm. then had the best recruiting uh, card in the country. Nobody else had his card. He had the ace. Very cool. Yeah. That's a, it's, an, it's another side I never really thought of. Yeah, yeah. Recruiting is such a, a tool to winning. Yeah, it, it's the lifeblood. I mean, uh, there's no question. You're only as good as your players, of course, and the better players that you get, the better chance you have, obviously, of, of enjoying success. And when you look at – and this is not to be unkind to Dal or, or UDM, who's who's in a, uh, in a playoff right now with St. Mary's, or UPI, but um, the missing link for them is to have that recruiting cycle where every – Every year they get two or three blue chip kids, and you start to you start to stockpile them. So, mm. that you know, next year you get two or three more. Next year you get two or three. Well, so all of a sudden you're three years down the road. You got six, eight, nine blue chip kids, right? And you got all your all your important positions covered. You got a blue chip goaltender. You got two strong D. You got three or four forwards that are the best, you know, or top call top yeah. caliber major junior kids. Yeah. But you have to hit that cycle. Yeah. Right. I want to talk about the other side of it, um, organizing an actual mm. national tournament. Like, you know, I'm running this company and there's definitely days where I'm in over my head, but it, it can't be anything compared to organizing a national tournament. I, you know, I think of hotels, I think of food, I think of media, I think of, I, I just think of everything. How, how do you, like, I don't even know what I'm trying to ask, but like, yeah. what's your first step of, of just taking this all in and taking a breath and being like, okay, guys, we're going to do this. Yeah. You know what? It's uh, it's a great question. Um, those of us in the event business probably have those ta-da moments when we ask ourselves that hmm. uh, more, more probably around why. So it, it, not to avoid the question, I'll come back to it, but you really have to have a passion for the event business and the event business is different. The I've event, heard it's difficult sometimes. Yeah. It can be very difficult. It can be very intense, it can be very stressful, it can be very, uh, demanding can be very long hours um, events when you're involved in the event business you're totally immersed in that space at that time the events over you may decompress for a while but you're starting on another event you go back into the cycle and that's that's where we are at sports and entertainment Atlantic and, and that's that and that's a good thing we have a full calendar of events this year um, that, that literally we will roll from one to another all year we've got 14 or 15 events on our calendar here in 2020 so we're currently into you know the 2020 university cup um, as we're speaking here today it's next week uh, so we're in the uh, sprint to the start line not the finish line the sprint to the start line we started as a marathon about a year ago that's how long you had to prepare for a yeah. year a year before yeah so, so what's the, the like I guess what's the first thing you're doing? Like, are you working on a logo? Are you are you calling the mayor of Halifax and being like, "Here's what's going on"? Like, what's what's the first step to hosting a tournament of this stature? Well, uh, first is to win the win the the hosting rights. Okay, well, let's so say you, you win. You got a bid yeah. to to, yeah. to to host, and we've had some success. This is the sixth year in a row that we will host a U Sport Championship here at Scotiabank Center in March. This will be our third uh, University Cup, and we've done three final eights. So we've had some success in winning the bids, mm. which is step one. 
But before we look at are we going to chase a U-Cup bid or are we going to chase a final eight bid, um, yes, you named one of the, the key pieces is, is we are fortunate here in Nova Scotia that our municipality and our province get it about the value of sport tourism, particularly in the off-season. Uh, the economic generator that sport tourism is, our, our city and our province get it, and they have funding uh, programs. Uh, so our first step is when we're looking at a major project that has a lot of risk, you know, you often kid around a final eight or university cup, you're one snowstorm away from losing a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so you want to try and mitigate the risk, and that's where your, your, your public partners can help you, your, your civic and your provincial partners can help you. So if, you, if you're successful enough to qualify for grants from the city and the province, or at least a commitment that the money would be there, mm. off you go and chase the bid. And when you win, you go back to those partners and say, hey, we've got it. Uh, can we firm up you know, what the funding arrangement would be? So that's the financial side of it. The organizational side of it is, again, we're very fortunate in this marketplace. Going back, going back, Justin, to... You could almost say uh, when Halifax hosted, hosted the World uh, Figure Skating Championship way back, uh, 90-something, um, uh, which kind of put Halifax on the map for the first time as being a city that could host a large international sporting event. Um, and then uh, in 2000, the city was the Memorial Cup host. And really, really earned its chops on that one. I didn't know that. Well, I knew they hosted, but I didn't know that that was like a yeah, pillar. It was, it was a turning point. And, you know, you layer in in 2002, the Royal Bank Cup, the Junior A Championship was here. And then, bang, we had the World Junior Championship. Well, I can tell you today, we probably felt it then, but, but today it's no surprise. You don't get the World Juniors unless you've had a successful Memorial Cup. You've got, got to have proven yourself. Interesting. Um, and then right after World Juniors in 03, we had Women's Worlds in 04, and then we had Men's Worlds in 08. So all of a sudden, Halifax had hosted the three biggest IIHF hockey championships in the same city within, three, within five years. They've never been hosted in the same city ever, anywhere in the world, never mind within five years. So all of a sudden, Halifax had earned its chops, its, its reputation internationally as a, an outstanding hosting uh, destination our down-home uh, friendliness, mm -hmm. our warm and welcoming ways, our facilities, the concentration of our hotel infrastructure downtown, uh, all connected to the arena. Those were major assets. But what came out of all that early hosting days was this uh, remarkable, and that's a, that's a huge understatement, this amazingly remarkable volunteer group and volunteer capacity that we have in this city. And we see it time and time and time again that it, it doesn't have to be hockey. It doesn't have to be basketball. The nag games this summer, we'll, we'll see it. Um, uh, there is a volunteer corps in this city that will turn out uh, and support the hosting of a major event. So one of the first things you do is, is you re-engage your volunteer group, your leadership group. You probably have five or six committees, no matter what the event is, that are typically the key work areas tournament operations, volunteer services, marketing, um, transportation, uh, all of those key components. 
and, and um, you, you want to galvanize your leadership group uh, that, that those people who have done that, done that several times, are keen to come back. And, and all of a sudden you have a, a confidence that you've got, a, you've got your volunteer uh, requirement met. Um, and then, then um, obviously, uh, you need to sell a lot of tickets. <laughs> you need to sell a lot of tickets. Uh, we've had some amazing success here in 2016, which was uh, the second of two years of the final eight. Mm. Uh, sorry, of University Cup. Mm. Uh, we had the great fortune, and talking about all the stars and the moons lining up, but we had uh, all three AUS, we had three AUS schools in, in the tournament. They all played on Sunday. St. Mary's played for bronze and won, and St. of X and UNB played for, for gold. UNB won, so all of a sudden the AUS schools had sweeped the, the, the medals. But what it created was this intense excitement in the city. And we set uh, that year, the University Cup set an attendance record for any U sport, CIS or CIAU, no matter what generation you're from, <laughs> or what championship you want to talk about, Vanier Cup, Final Eight, doesn't set an all-time attendance record of 43,513. So we sold a lot of tickets. Now, people bought a lot of tickets because three AUS schools were playing through. Hmm. We've had years when there have been no AUS schools, either in basketball or hockey, play Sunday. But, and that's where you will reap the rewards of having had a very strong ticket campaign. Uh, great sports fans here. They will come and watch good university basketball. They will come and watch good university hockey, whether there's a local team or not. They'll fill the arena if there's a local team. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally, here in 2020, we have three AUS teams that will qualify for University Cup, and who knows, we may see it again. Well, you have to be happy looking at last weekend for the basketball. The crowds in the lower bowl was pretty much full. Obviously, for hockey, you expect the upper bowls to be full too, but you know, looking at some of those pictures, it was it was. It was very impressive. impressive. Yeah, it was impressive. Yeah. Uh, hats off to the AUS office who organized the AUS basketball championships. Yeah. It's not done by um, uh, commercial enterprises like, like ourselves. It's done by the, the league office. Okay. Full credit to them, Phil Curry and his team. They've turned the AUS basketball championship into a star product for them. Yeah. Um, added the women's in, which probably should have been done a long time ago. So mm. you get the men's and women's championships on the same weekend. Mm. And they've made it an, an event from which uh, not only is it financially successful for the AUS, but it's it, it keeps the basketball the university basketball appetite wet. <laughs> yeah. And we'll be back next year with Final Eight. Yeah. In 2021, with Saint of X's host, so we we will reap the benefits of that. Good. That AUS has built a very strong base for their own championship, and, and next year the. AUS championship will be a week or two before the final eight. So all of a sudden in March, you got two weekends of unbelievable basketball uh, at Scotiabank Center and both very well supported. Yeah. So uh, we're fortunate here in this city that we have strong fan bases for, for both, uh, both university basketball and university hockey, um, particularly at the championship level, put yeah. it that way. I like the fact that you mentioned the um, the volunteers. It, it's something that I was aware of, but it's not something that was just 
I don't think about it every day, but I remember going back to the Mem Cup last year and just seeing the amount of volunteers that were around and that were more than willing to help out tourists I saw. Right. And, and it's a great thing. I, I remember talking to Liam, who's actually on the banner behind you, coming from Ontario, and he said that when he came here, it, it just it ate him up. He, he fell in love with the city. And we've talked to other guys other than Liam that are in the AUS and that come from Ontario, even Alberta, wherever. And they just say that the hospitality, it it eats you up and it's full kind of full circle here. I was talking to a guy from uh, the Thunderbirds and the media person, he's from Rochester. Mm. And he just said that he had an option to go work with the Buffalo Bills last year, come here in Halifax. And he chose Halifax over the Bills due to the fact that the first two months he was here, he just fell in love with it. And he's like, I made the right decision. I'd rather be here than working for the Bills. And when I saw that email, I was just like, whoa, are you kidding me? You know, like yeah. he, he'd rather just turn down here. an NFL opportunity. It was, uh, it, it just kind of hit home. And it's funny you mentioned that today and that email came today. It was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. No, volunteers are the engine behind any successful sport organization. There's no way a company uh, or an organization like the AUS office would ever have enough staff. We'll have 200 volunteers next week uh, for University Cup. NAG, uh, when NAG, the North American Indigenous Games, come in July, there'll be 3,000. 3,000 volunteers. It's a workforce of, of, of a magnitude that we've never seen before because there's 5,500 participants. We've never seen a multi-sport, a multicultural event uh, that large in Atlantic Canada ever. Uh, but it takes a lot of volunteer uh, horsepower to, to get the work done. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. It is. It so is. many, like, I remember when we had that meeting a couple of weeks ago and you gave me that, not a couple of months ago, and gave me that list and mm. just sawing everything that was coming here. It's, And then I think of my business and, you know, it, it gets you excited. It's like, yeah. okay, I'm surrounded by sports and that this company is bringing in these, this many events. It's, it's nothing but joy to me just seeing that, you know, this city is on the up and up and I don't even think we're halfway there. I think we're just getting started on the opportunities that the city. Uh, yeah, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more really, Justin. I mean, you know, this, when you look, you don't have to roll the calendar back two or three years. And we, in the winter, we would have a major junior, we have a major junior team that's on a typical major junior cycle. Uh, and right now they're at the wrong end of that cycle. Uh, and our professional basketball team has struggled since day one. But now there's professional lacrosse that's being very successful. There's professional soccer that's been layered in and doing, doing extremely well. So all of a sudden, this city has more more uh, elite, high-level sport opportunities for fans to enjoy, all in the downtown core. And I really do believe the downtown core is the is the secret here. Uh, Wanders Grounds, the home for uh, HFX Wanders FC, that cozy little 6,200 stadium <laughs> seat stadium that's a 10-minute walk from from you know Argyle Street. I uh, love it. Yeah, it, it's, it's part of the success. There's no question. It's small. It's cozy. It's downtown. It's outdoors. I had a buddy that went this year on a first date with a girl and said it was the best first date he ever went yeah. on because, you know, you don't it's have fun. to talk the whole time. You get to watch. You get to drink. Like, there was just so much happening. He's like, yeah. it was the best first date ever. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, to to wander into the to that story, bad pun. Um, yeah, but the success of, of Wanders is driven by a number <laughs> of things, one of which is... Uh, it resonated with that fan who was on a first date, may or may not have ever been on a soccer pitch, may not even understand the rules of soccer. It wasn't important. It was, it was an event. It was something uh, fun. It was something enjoyable to go to. 
something that you could share with somebody else. And I think 50% of the attendance at, at uh, un unproven, so unprofessionally, uh, uh, not, not, you cannot professionally prove it, statistically prove it, but I would say 50% of our, uh, of our attendance, so the attendance at Wanders is probably uh, the event fan. The other would be the soccer fan. Nothing wrong with that. That's, that's great. Absolutely that's what you want. Wrong. Absolutely nothing There's wrong. nothing wrong with going into a soccer field, not knowing really what you're getting yourself into and just enjoying the experience. I was a little bit of that guy. I'm not a, I don't know soccer that well, but I, when I went for the first time, I was hooked. Yeah. It was beautiful out. The sun was setting. It was like 6 o'clock in the yeah. summer. had a cold beer in my hand. Halifax was tied 1-1 against like Ottawa, I think. I was just, it was just a beautiful setting. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was just, it was really cool. Yeah, and and and, and that, that's the that, that's the beauty of being in the downtown core. Scotiabank Center, previously Halifax Metro Center, of course, blazed that trail you know decades ago now uh, by by uh, putting the stadium downtown and then building the infrastructure around it, all the hotels and then the pedways to connect the hotels. Mm. We often forget in Halifax those of us that are in the event business that are out chasing new business opportunities to bring them to Halifax. We don't, we don't forget, but we, we don't always understand just how significant the connectivity of our downtown core is to the other party. What, do you, the, what do you mean by that? Like um, all, the, uh, all the pedways and walkways. The, oh, sorry. Okay, okay. So next week with University Cup, there isn't a storm on the horizon, which is really good news. But no matter what the weather, literally, um, players arrive either bust in if they're the AOS schools or fly in. They'll get on a bus at the airport. They'll come down to their hotel. They never have to get on a bus again. They walk to practice. They walk to the game. Um, and, and that's a convenience that other cities don't have. They don't have all this density of the uh, housing and food and beverage uh, assets right in the center core with their, uh, with their sport facilities. Mm. Um, and it's a cluster as such. And if it was done by design, somebody was very smart. Um, I'm not sure it was all done by design. But nonetheless, we have this very, uh, very strong asset that we sometimes don't understand how, how others think, boy, you got a great asset there. You got, a, you got a card that we don't have to play, right? Really? Like, so you use that, you use that as a, a selling absolutely, pitch? Really? Absolutely. Your players will never have to walk outside unless they want yeah. to, right? You're, doesn't hurt to bring up. You no, know, it doesn't. It's a, it's a great it, thing. It, you, you played the game. The, 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 the most frequently asked question in hockey and probably any other sport that lives on a bus, what time is the bus? You ask that question every day. What time is the bus to go to the practice? What time is the bus to go to the game, right? Yeah, it is. What time is the bus when we're going to the mall? What time is the bus? What time is the bus? What time is the bus? You're always yeah. asking that question. We don't. You never get on a bus once you arrive. Yeah. You get on the bus from the airport to your hotel and your bus back to the airport after, yeah. after the tournament. And, and that's, a, that's an asset that we have here in Halifax. There's absolutely no question about it. It's an infrastructure, it's an infrastructure bonus and advantage that, that, that we have that other communities just don't have. Look at Ottawa. Their arena's $50 cab ride from downtown. Right? There's no sense of being in, in, in a, the spirit of it all when you're at a Senators game hmm. uh, out in the boondocks, so to hmm. speak, in Canada. They made the same mistake in Saskatoon. They put this beautiful 15-seat arena... 20-minute drive from downtown, all right? It, it's it, a tough sell. It, 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 you lose that energy in your downtown core. Right? Mm -hmm. You lose that energy. It just just disperses everywhere. People go to the arena for the game, they go home. That constant yeah. flow like that. They never 
extend it by going out for dinner or going out after for a bite to eat. Um, you lose all of that when you don't have your infrastructure downtown. If you don't want me asking, feel you don't have to answer this because I know this is kind of a it's a political question. You don't you don't have to answer if you don't want. But the CFL coming here, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's obviously something we talk about a fair bit. Mm. Um, it's interesting to be uh, somewhat on the sideline watching it unfold. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations with them. Um, it's obviously spinning around a, a stadium, which by default draws us into the conversation. Um, and whether we, whether our sister company wanders um, was here or not, I would have the same opinion. Do not, do not build the stadium outside the center, the center core of the city. Yeah. It'll be a fundamental generational mistake. In Ottawa today, they're trying like crazy to get an arena built downtown, because 30 years ago they built one. Out in the, out in the um, suburban area, and it didn't work. Mm. Let's not make that same mistake here. Let's get it as close to our, our, our urban core as we can. Our urban core has become very vibrant. We see it every day. The cranes are still in the sky with development in our urban core. Uh, whether it's new Canadians, whether it's empty nesters, whether it's recent graduates who are staying in uh, much stronger number, numbers than ever before. Our city downtown is alive. So for it to have a multi-purpose stadium, uh, whether it's a CFL-hosted uh, stadium or not, it needs to be part of that mix. Mm. The challenge is there's not a lot of real estate to do that. It's tough. Um, so that that's point number one. The CFL discussion is relatively meaningless without a stadium. Yeah. Where's it going to play? Um, there is no place for it to play. Wanders, even if even if Wanders, Wanders could never be large enough. It could never be built out large enough. The footprint around the stadium is not big enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there are some challenges in that in that area. It's unfortunate that way back in 2011 or 12, probably 2010, when Halifax was in full flight preparing to host the Commonwealth Games, 2014 Commonwealth Games. It's very, very unfortunate. We're paying the price uh, today, and we'll pay, f- pay the price for, for the foreseeable future. When we withdrew our bid, uh, we also lost the stadium. We would have a stadium today. It would have been the stadium for the Commonwealth Games of 2014. I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and it was all pointing towards Shannon Park, and not that Shannon Park is a magic elixir, but that's probably the closest piece of real estate to keeping it in the center part of the city. Mm. Surely on our on our on our harbor front, right? Is 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 all part of it. We've got the second largest ice free harbor in the world. The only one larger is Sydney, Australia. I did know that. Yeah, yeah. and we've got this 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 ever growing, emerging, evolving waterfront. Let's continue to grow it. Let's let, let's find a way to put. If we're going to have a multi-purpose stadium, let's find a way to put the multi-purpose stadium on the shores of our harbor, hmm. not in a industrial complex or a commercial complex uh, outside the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's that. You know, it, to me, it's not a CFL discussion until you have a a, a stadium figured discussion. out. Whether or not this this community could support a CFL team is an entirely different discussion. Not sure. Not sh- I'm not sure. Yeah. But it's it's immaterial till we figure out the first step. The first step. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
you know, if there's anyone that's going to have an answer for it and a, and a strategical answer, it's you. You host events for a living, so, you know. You know, one of the cool things, and it doesn't align in time, and this is this is mostly me just looking out at the art of the possible, although I hear other people kind of musing about it as well. Sometime here in, in the not-too-distant fu- future, St. Mary's will have to replace the turf at Husky Stadium. Well, there's not much stadium left at Husky Stadium, um, but the, one of the solutions, and it would mirror what happened in Montreal when the Alouettes moved into McGill and did a lot of reconstruction. The only, the only way the footprint at St. Mary's could accommodate a larger stadium, not to say 24,000 seats, mm. but a larger stadium, is, um, is if you dug down. Oh, dug yeah. Dug down um, and created a bowl. Almost like Dodger Stadium. In LA. Yeah, 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 very much like that. And, of course, the time to do that because would be when you got to replace the turf anyway, right? Yeah. But that doesn't align with the current proponents' plans for yeah. uh, chasing down a franchise. So, uh, so a, a missed opportunity there. Um, you know, there's infrastructure along our waterfront today that you, might, that you might say, what if the casino was never had been built? What a great place for uh, a stadium. Maybe serving the public good in a, in a different way. Um, we're, we're totally reconstructing uh, Cogswell Interchange. Would have been a very interesting discussion to say, well, there's certainly enough land there. Yeah. Is that where a stadium could be? But most, all of those things have passed us by. We lost out on the Commonwealth because we withdrew. Of course, this casino's been built and the plans for Co- Cogswell are well down the road. That's not being un- unraveled. So the, the stadium proponent's biggest challenge is where? And and I, I, I truly, truly hope we don't make the mistake of building it outside of town. Yeah. Just seems rushed. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to hockey here. Yeah, We're coming up on 40 minutes here. I, I, I just want you... I, I just want you to tell the fans and the listeners what they have to expect here March 12th to 15th as the, the U Sports Cup rolls into town. You know, I, I know the league well. I know the talent. I know the skill level. I was just hoping maybe you could tell uh, the people what they can expect here in the upcoming week. Well, you know what, Justin? It's a great, great question and great lead-in because um, this brand of hockey uh, right across the country, there's, I think, 37 universities now playing varsity hockey across the country. In, um, in four different conferences, three and a half, really. Anyway, my point is that it's an elite level of hockey night in, night out from October right to the end of February, and then you get to March. We were fortunate enough when we first hosted University Cup in 2015 and 16. That's the first cycle, that's the first year that U Sports, which was still CIS in those days, mere five years ago, um, had a, uh, had a had a format that really was broken, didn't work. So they, they, they changed the format in 2015, um, not without its, its critics. And so today it's, it's uh, an eight-team eight team format. It had been six. So what, was, what was the change? Why eight now? Um, to provide a, a true semifinal game. So the form, pre- previous format would have had two pools of three teams and a very convoluted goals yeah. for, goals against, differential formula to depict the two teams that moved on to play Saturday. It wasn't a true national semifinal. Yeah. So we were very fortunate in 2015 that the, that the model changed, the format changed. Hockey coaches didn't much like it because it, has beca- it was changed to eight teams. They liked that. Two mm-hmm. more teams can play for a national championship. 
but it's single elimination knockout. There is no consolation round, uh, unlike uh, finally basketball. Yeah. You play a full consolation round. Unlike the Women's National Hockey Championship, mm. they will play a full consolation round. So what you have is this unbelievably intense uh, level of hockey. Uh, the skill level is at its best for this level, but the intensity, I, uh, I challenge anybody to, to uh, refute the fact that the intensity level of every shift, every puck battle, every puck drop is no different than overtime game seven of a Stanley Cup. It's not the same talent level, but the intensity level, the battle level is at that high. You lose, you're done. Um, and in that very first year, Calgary, who was third seed, third seed played um, at 2 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. At 4 o'clock, they were done. They were out of the tournament. They'd come all the way from Cal Calgary and played one game. Third best team in the country. So it creates these quarterfinal games that have unbelievable intensity. We saw it in 2016 where we had those very long overtimes. All right, We had a four-period overtime. We had a three-period overtime, one on Thursday, one on Friday. That's free hockey for all you fans listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The, the, the Saskatchewan goaltender who was in both those games played more overtime minutes than he did regular regular game minutes. Wow. That's how long the overtimes were. And only because the battleground was so intense. Neither team was willing to, to concede or make that mistake or, or, or give up that, that, that mistake, mistake for a goal. Um, and, and, and so that creates on Thursday, Friday, when you play those first four games, this unbelievable brand of hockey. It's fast. It's extremely fast. It's hard-hitting. It's intense. Every loose puck is a battle for your life. The hitting is, is uh, you know, it, it, there, there, there's none of the after-whistle nonsense. You can't afford to take a bad penalty. You are literally playing 60 minutes of sudden-death hockey because if you lose, you're out, right? Um and so every shift is, is at a level that, the, that gives the fans just something that you don't see. Uh, you don't see during the regular season, and the regular season is good, good to great hockey anyway. It's the best hockey around here. Yeah, there's no question. As I say, it's the best hockey outside of pro. But if you win your first game on Thursday or Friday, you now are going to play Sunday, just a matter of what color medal you're playing for. Hmm. So it, 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 had, it creates this cluster of games, these four games on Thursday, Friday, that are just so amazingly intense. I keep saying that word, but there's no other way to describe it. Uh, the action, the speed, the skill, the battle, the, the hitting, uh, the lack of any kind of real nonsense after whistles, right? Um, it is just fast, fast-paced, good hockey. And, and it's, it's, it's great hockey for a fan. Mm. It's great fan hockey. Um, so that, that's what excites us as organizers. We get to see some of this, this unbelievable hockey. Uh, one, one little story that kind of brings it all home, when we had this seven-period overtime game, Ron Baird, who's the timekeeper at Scotiabank Center, Halifax Metro Center, has been the timekeeper for every sporting event that's ever gone in that building. Great voice. Yeah. No, he's not the voice. He's just the, the, the guy that runs the clock. Oh, okay, okay. He's the timekeeper. I didn't know that. This, yeah, Ron He's Barrett's been there how the, long? Since it opened. No. Yeah. You need to get me that connection for yeah, a podcast. Yeah, that absolutely. needs to be done. And, and you wow. know what? He'd love to tell his story. Um, so when we went into the fourth overtime period, fourth overtime period of that game, he came, literally came running over. 
they were on break, obviously, at the end of the third overtime period, and I was underneath the stands there. He came running over to me because he wanted to tell me. In all his time at Halifax Metro Center, Scotiabank Center, he'd never put a seven <laughs> up on the scoreboard. <laughs> He's timed over 3,000 events in that building. He's wow. never put a seven up before. That's so crazy. We're hoping he puts a seven up again this year because that <laughs> really creates exciting hockey. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I remember going to the practice the other day. The guys were excited. They look forward to uh, to going to this tournament. And well, you, and you see happens. it when you host like this uh, at Acadia. Uh, now that you know St. Mary's has a chance to play in, UNB's in. You have fifth. You have fourth year players that make a decision to come back for their fifth year because they have a chance to play in the national championship. Um, and, and, you know, I, I look at Rapace at St. Mary's. They still got to play their way through a very good UDM team. But he's back for his fifth year because he could sense that they were that close. It would be in, a, in, in Halifax. It would be in the big, the big stage, the bright lights. It would be a great way to go out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he was a rookie when they won bronze. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was okay. the first-year player on the bronze team, and he's telling those kids now, don't expect it to happen every year. Mm. We get there. It doesn't happen every year. Mm. He had to come back for his fifth year. So he's, he's just an example. Acadia's got fifth year. Liam Mascan mm. came back for his fifth year because Acadia's hosting a national championship. They want that experience. Great kid Liam is, by he, the way. He really, really is. He's a first-class human being. He also just happens to be a really good hockey player. And that's another thing that you talk about, the intensity of these games on Thursday and Friday. You have to think about you yourself being a fifth-year player and knowing that, you know, maybe you are going to go into a career that's not hockey as soon as this game is done. I know that if I was playing my last game ever in, in front of, you know, the, the amount of fans that are going to be there, I'd be doing absolutely everything to win. So yeah. if you're looking for a reason to go out and see some hockey, just know that some of these guys' livelihoods are on the line and then they'll do anything to win to get a national championship. That never hurts on a resume. No, it doesn't. And, and the reality is we're... We'll also be watching kids, the kids, they're not kids, players who will go on and play at a high level of professional hockey, mm. some extensively in Europe. Um, but we're also looking at the next generation of business leaders, community leaders, doctors, lawyers, engineers, plumbers, firefighters, um, uh, you know, EHS uh, people. Um, the, these, these athletes are at the stage where maybe... Hockey isn't the rest of their life. Um, and if, they, if it's not the rest of their life, they've had an opportunity to play in a national championship under the bright lights in a, in a, in a, in a, in a great facility. Yeah. Um, and it's something they will remember forever. So that, you know, that all kind of feeds in. That's, that's what makes these games so, so appealing. Like it. Yeah. Well, Chris, I want to thank you thank for joining you. the podcast. It was great talking to yeah, you. Yeah, great conversation. Thank um, you. Uh, I'm excited for, for next week and to see what happens. I know you're going to be Yeah. You'll be on cloud nine as well. I'm sure you'll be busy. but Yeah, we'll be busy, but uh, we, we'll sneak a few looks at the ice just to watch some of the battles. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, everyone listening, uh, once again, thank you very much for tuning in. Make sure to go and buy your tickets right now at what's the website? www.ticketatlantic.ca March 12th, 15th at Scotiabank Center downtown. If you need any more information on it, we'll be hosting a, a contest. We're actually already hosting a contest, but we're going to be hosting another one here uh, later on this week where you can win a chance to, uh, to win two packages to go see all the games free. So look out for that video. I think that's it. Do you got anything else to say, Chris? I'm good. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Is a house.